And don't look now. We're still going to punt. Are you ready? It's the show everyone's waited for. And it kicks off like a punt right now. Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said cock a doodle doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals in Yahoo Sports. This, this is the Trojansports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Move it on. You love 33. You better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the, okay. Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message board. We start Monday. Yeah. And yes. And yes. Your host, our very own Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. Reading whatever is on the prompter. Defense is Sua Adori Chalk by the end of the not, year, not by the way. Chalk. <laughs> I don't know why. I said, I'll, I'll just read whatever it says, baby. I know. Chris Morales. It's a touchdown. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. Now. The kids are back. Here is your host from the Yahoo Sports headquarters in Playa Vista, Chris Morales. As the man says, welcome to the TrojanSports.com podcast, September 18th, late, late on a Sunday night. And we'd like to take this moment to thank Clay Helton and the USC Trojans for participating in the 2016 season. Pick up your, oh no, we suck again t-shirts at the door. Adam Maya, Chris Swanson, fresh off the plane from the Bay Area. They're here. They're ready to dive in. So much to be said, and yet so little. It still kind of hurts, but it kind of doesn't. Because Chris Swanson yeah. predicted just uh, a real steamroller, and it sort of was like that. Maybe the score wasn't exactly lined up like it, Chris, but it was pretty much just as bad as you thought it would be. It was worse, actually. Um, it was worse than I thought it would be because while I predicted the score to be a touchdown, I think worse than it ended up being, uh, I did that because I expected USC to compete in the game and try to win. And what I saw was USC just get absolutely destroyed. It was the worst butt-kicking I've ever seen them take, worse than the Alabama game by far because Stanford basically lined up in a jumbo package and handed the ball off all night there there wasn't many option plays many trickerations whenever there was a little trickeration it was a huge gain for them but Stanford basically ran the ball at USC every play hold 15 passes and said stop it and USC lined up all their players in the box and they couldn't stop it because they don't have a defensive line and they don't have a defensive front that's any good and I, I've never seen them this bad uh, up front. I, I just haven't seen it. Stanford treated them like they were Washington State. He just ran over them and they didn't have to do anything else. That's why they only scored 27. They didn't have to score more. They only ran the ball. It's it's something that USC could do to Idaho maybe, like uh, the old USC teams, but they just they would throw because it was a part of their offense. So in a way they would run it up on teams, but they could they could run the ball on Idaho. You know, 47 times and beat them 27 to 10 without even throwing if they wanted to. That's what that score would look like. Oh, remember the days when we remember the right days now. when we would play Idaho? Those were some good days, Adam Maya. <laughs> it's uh it's funny to me. It's poetic almost that Pete Carroll was in the college team today 
and like USC has never been further from that era than they are right now, the Pete Carroll era. I'm glad you brought that up because there was a moment in today's game against the Rams, even though Pete Carroll lost, uh, again, a 9-3 game, which was not great. But there was a moment where he was screaming at the ref about a flag being thrown. I mean, in his ear, running down with him, just in his face. And it just, it also meant, just to your point, how far we are from a coaching standpoint. The Clay Helton shows no emotion. His staff shows no emotion. They look confused. They look dull. And there's Pete Carroll just screaming about a flag being thrown. It just really was another symbol, to your point, of how far we have uh, come from those moments. What, 10, 11 years ago that they were in a national title game, Mm -hmm. and, and Carroll left seven years ago. That is not that long ago, and yet it feels like a totally different generation. Uh, yeah, it is because there's no passion, just yeah. like Chris Morales said from this coaching staff. They don't know what they're doing, and and they're they're not even trying. They're not. Clay Helton punted the ball on fourth and six uh, on the right side of the field to try to score, conceding the game to Stanford basically down by 17. I think because he was worried that Stanford would score again and make it look even worse. I think he wanted to lose by 17. He was ex- he accepted that. He quit. The coaching staff quit in this game. It's unacceptable. Pete Carroll will never do that. Lane Kiffin wouldn't do that. Those teams didn't quit. They got blown out a few times, but most of the time they were competitive. They were throwing passes late, trying to get back in it, because Lane Kiffin is a competitive guy that cares this staff doesn't know what they're doing and they don't care they should be fired today it, it clay Helton should be gone there should they should have an interim coach and they should announce that they're just not going to hire that guy and they're going to hire somebody that's real lynn swan needs to pull the trigger now and say this is not usc football these two of these three games were the two worst games i've ever watched usc play in my entire life Pull the plug on this stupid experiment. It should have never happened. You hired a guy as your head coach that wasn't qualified to be USC's quarterbacks coach. End it. But how do you really feel? That's how I, the, why, why would I say anything differently at this point? I'm serious. Why would, yeah. What can they possibly do? They're yeah. not going to turn it around. Well, before- They're going to lose to every team that's, that's good, and there will be bad teams that beat them, and they're going to go like five and seven. Before Adamaya reacts to your passion, while I agree with you, and I would have loved to see the Pat Hayden body bag waiting for uh, Clay Helton last night, uh, I, the problem with doing that is we almost get into the same scenario where there's going to be an interim head coach that could possibly be in contention for this job. I almost no, no, feel no, no, like no. you let it you let it do the slow bleed, let it get as bad as it gets, fire him and the entire staff at the end of the year, hire the person that we all want, whoever that is that handpicks his staff and start anew versus the interim stuff versus anything like that. I just, why even waste the time with it? Because Clancy Pendergast is more qualified to get this team prepared to win than Clay Helton. That's why you name him the, the interim head coach and you announce, we will not hire our interim head coach because Clancy Pendergast should not be USC's head coach. Just like Clay Helton shouldn't have been. And just like Ed Orgeron shouldn't have been. Those three people were not qualified, and USC should have said right from the start, you're our interim coach. 
But you will not get the head coaching job here. It's yeah, too but, big for you. But much like Sorry. your hashtag set up to fail, much like everybody calling for Sam Donald to be the starting quarterback because he made one good pass, if Clancy Pendergast was to somehow win out, you know everybody would say he should be the head coach. You just know that. Well, if he won out, he should be the head coach. <laughs> well, we don't because this team's <laughs> terrible right now. Right? Like, that will never happen. That shouldn't even be a thought. This isn't 2013 when they just had to fix a few things and they had a staff that was competent and able to do this. This is not the same thing. It's not. They didn't They didn't even do enough with Clay Helton last year, in my opinion. I, I thought it was a joke. They got hired. They will not – Clancy Federgast or anybody else as the interim head coach will not take them to a point where they will be considered to be hired or should be at all, honestly. Adam, so you're gonna have don't to, worry about it. You're going to have to cancel that ticket you booked last week to the national championship game in Tampa. <laughs> I'm still going to Houston, whether I want to or not. So when you go but, to Houston, who will be the head coach of the Trojans? Well, I think a lot of people want the Houston head coach, Tom Herman. But I, I don't really know exactly how this is going to play out. But I think that I think the situation is going to take care of itself. So while Chris might sound a little crazy, I think – that he is expressing what a lot of people feel right now. And it's hard to blame them. But it's not going to happen in the middle of the season. So if we're going to deal with reality, I think that Clay is making it easy for Lynn Swan right now. And unless there's a, a dramatic change in the direction that they're heading, then a change will be made when it needs to be made. Chris asked me while we were uh, prepping, uh, waiting for you to jump on the line, if I've ever seen a team this bad, and I really couldn't remember in my recollection. I mean, as a kid, I remember watching USC football with my family, but I wasn't really absorbing it, obviously. But I, obviously, in my adult life, I can't remember a team. But you've you've been covering this team for a long time and, and went to USC and all that. Can you remember a team that looked this unmotivated, this confused, this lost? Yeah. Um, 2011, UCLA. <laughs> I, this is the saddest part of all, is that I feel like I'm covering UCLA right now. Um. I covered a lot of the Rick Neuheisel era and much of it was a train wreck. And you know, I, I had some pride in the fact that uh, it would never be like that at USC. Well, they're making history right now. USC has lost four of their last seven games by 17 points or more. And the last time that happened at USC was in 1983. It was the first season under Ted Tolner. And then before that, it happened between 1960 and 61, which was the first year of John McKay and the beginning of his second year. And uh, but, but Rick Neuheisel did that in 2011 in, uh, over his final seven games. He lost four of them by the margin I, I mentioned, 17 or more. And so I have not seen a USC team this bad, but I have, I have covered a team this bad before. And 
I kind of kept it to myself for a while, but but now I I I don't even think it matters. Um, this looks like UCLA. The, the incompetence has reached uh, unimaginable heights, and there's really only one thing that I want to talk about. We, I know we, we we should probably talk about a few things, but the one thing I, I really want to talk about, uh, you know, I think we we all need some therapy here, is the that decision to punt. And I want to I want to hear what everybody's thinking about it because I've yet to hear one different opinion except for Clay Helton, which is the most important. Right. Um, but uh, just to set it up one more time for everybody, USC was trailing 27-10 in the fourth quarter with 9-12 remaining. They were at the Stanford 44-yard line, and it was fourth and six. And they opted to punt. And Clay's reasoning was to put them deep into the territory, to pin them down. He wanted to pin Stanford down because he said they had a very dangerous weapon, which he was alluding, obviously, to Christian McCaffrey. Now, I, I think that Clay, since he's the head coach of a football team that was playing another football team, would know that the team is notorious for being able to drown the clock out, which is exactly what they did. So you pinned yeah. them, and they ran five minutes off the clock. Five they ran five minutes off the clock, exactly. Right. And that was it. Yeah. But you're, you're down three possessions right. against a really good team, a really good defense, a team that you've only scored one touchdown on, in a game where you've only had eight possessions of in the entire game, and you're giving it away, and you're going to need three scores, meaning you're planning on getting three more possessions while you're giving the ball away with 9-12 remaining. So this is where I stand. It could have been fourth and goal from the 44, and I'm going for it. Because you're trying to win the game, Adam. This Clay Hel- This is what went through Clay Helton's mind. We will not convert this fourth and six because Stanford's defense is too good. We cannot stop them from running the ball, and we're giving them a shorter field. They will run the ball into the end zone, and they will make this score look disgusting, and I might get fired tonight. I better just lose by 17. It's pathetic. I have to agree. I think that was exactly what I threw said, because nothing else makes sense. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it, <laughs> it's either you're lacking the the requisite chops to manage the clock and the situation, or you were conceding the game, but wanted to keep it respectable. Which, I mean, that was. One of the more lopsided 17-point wins that I've seen. It, it, it felt nothing like 17. USC was never going to win that game. They were never threatening. It wasn't competitive. Stanford ran for 300 yards. I got the sense talking to some of the defensive players from USC afterward that they had scored a moral victory 
because Christian McCaffrey only had 260 <laughs> all-purpose yards, where in December he had 461, which, mind you, did not include an 11-yard touchdown pass that he threw. For some reason, that doesn't count in your all-purpose total. So because they cut him down from 461 to 260, they felt like they had, for the most part, contained him outside of that wheel route. And I, I just wanted to walk away. It, it was hard to, to hear it. It's because it's they've built a losing culture. They went into that game thinking Christian McCaffrey's the best player we've seen. He's better than anybody we have. Hope we can slow him down. It's totally different. It's a completely different culture than Pete Carroll had. It's flipped on. It's it's flipped on. Said I want. I want to go back. Uh, I want. I want to just go back to to what Chris Morales was talking about a little bit earlier. And, and you you evolved it to the point that you the last team you felt like was this bad was you know you, that UCLA team you covered two thousand eleven. I want to point to a USC team that I know people will jump on and say, well, remember when they went 5-7 and seven in 2000? Right? Yeah. They were competitive mm-hmm. in those games. They played Oregon State, who ended up being the number four team in the country on the road, and only lost by 10 points. They played number nine, Oregon. Actually, number seven, who ended up being number seven. They lost by 11. They're going to get blown out by teams like that. That's what they've showed. That five and seven team was competitive. I don't care if USC finishes, you know, bowl eligible or whatever. They're they're not competitive with good teams. They're not. No. They're not good. They're just. It doesn't matter what their record is. This is this is probably the worst USC football team I've seen in, in, in my lifetime. Uh, that two thousand team that everybody points to that was so bad. Yeah, I think people call the worst in history. Maybe is right. They, they finished it? last in the conference. Yeah. Uh, because they they well they they technically tied with Washington tied. and Cal, but right. they lost to both of them in competitive games. By the way, <laughs> they they showed up to every game and tried to win. Their coaching staff is full of people that are actually qualified. You you look at you know Hugh Jackson was their offensive coordinator. Paul Hackett is their head coach. That everybody craps on all the time. Is so much more qualified to be a head coach than Clay Helton. It's unbelievable. This is the, the. I feel like we're in the darkest era of USC football right now, and it's time to turn on a light. And that would be firing Clay Helton because even though you talked about what a mess you think it would be and how it'll just take care of itself, why let it take care of itself? What 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 isn't this rock bottom? Could could anything bad happen from from firing him? I don't even think so. You know. So why not just just start looking? Get a get a jump on you know these other big programs. Well, that are I'm sure I'm sure that when oh they're looking, we'll, we'll be doing that right if he's not already. But you, you have to manage the situation from a lot of different angles, and you've already changed coaches mid season twice in the previous three years. They're not going to do that again with a first year coach now. With Clay, it's it's a bit complicated because he coached nine games last season. And so no one feels like it's year one, although technically it is. But it was a prove-it hire, which is not smart to make at a program like USC. 
You know, if you like, let's go hypothetical for a moment. Let's say they had gotten Chip Kelly. Okay. And it looks like they wouldn't have because he ended up with the 49ers. And so if, if that was on the table, then he's probably going there. But we know that they didn't make a serious run at him, which is a whole different issue. And, and I think the root of the problem here is Pat Hayden. But we'll get to that later. Okay. So follow me. Let's say they had Chip Kelly. They, they still very well could be one and two. You and I have been saying that they were going to be one and two for the better part of a year. I would expect them to be one and two, even if Chip Kelly was right. Like exactly. I would. But, yeah. No, I, I, I would too. I would too. Okay. So what, what I'm really confident in saying is that it wouldn't have looked like anything like this. Even with Clay Helton, I didn't think it would look anything like this. I never saw Alabama winning by 46 points, which was the third most lopsided victory against USC in their history. And now they get blown out by Stanford. And as I alluded to a moment ago, it was their fourth 17-point loss in seven games. They haven't done that in 33 years. Among a bunch of other things. I mean, I don't know if you guys look at the notes that I put together. I did, and you picked the one I actually was going to promote, and I'll get to the reason why later. But no, they were all very good. For premium subscribers only at Trojansports.com, your post-game notes. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to share, share a couple. We just uh, mentioned the four and seven. They've, they've now lost four in a row away from the Coliseum, and they're two and six in the road and neutral side games that they played since Helton took over. They've lost four of five overall, five of seven. And now Stanford, who was their little brother for the, the, the entire century, okay? They, they've both been around for a long time. There's a proud rivalry between them. But Stanford is little brother. And USC has now lost 8 of 11. Clay is responsible for two now. And the Cardinal have won three in a row by double digits. And the two that Clayton, Clayton, Clay is responsible for weren't competitive. And can we, And we need to emphasize again that this game was so much less competitive than the score indicates. You, if you watch a triple option team, if you're going to give them the game and let them win by 17 points and just say, just run the ball every play, we won't stop you, they blew you out. They beat you by 50, basically. That's that's what this game was. Stanford didn't even have to score in the fourth quarter. They didn't even try to score in the fourth quarter. It was over. It was over after three well, quarters. It was yeah, over right. at halftime. They, I felt like they got so comfortable running – a base offense. They thirty of their sixty-two plays from scrimmage were handoffs to McCaffrey. Okay, I mean, how basic is that? USC. I read a stat that was uh, reported by Ted Miller of ESPN. He reported that USC um, when 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 Stanford was under center, USC averaged. 
7.7 defenders in the box. So that, that's basically eight. And Stanford averaged 6.1 yards on those plays. That's incredible. With, with eight defenders in the box. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, it, it was... I honest, I thought Stanford beat them worse than Alabama did. I know I said that earlier, but I'll say it again. I think Stanford beat USC worse than Alabama did. The score doesn't show it. But Stanford just completely manhandled them and yeah. just destroyed them the whole their, game. Their wide receivers combined for three catches and 16 yards. They weren't even trying to do anything else. No. They didn't need to. They had one play. USC, you know, USC held with Alabama that first half. And the difference is Clay decided to give up in the third quarter of that game. This time he gave up in the fourth quarter. But he's got a record now of just giving up. That's what he does. That's what he does. When that Ryan Burns, when he ran up for that first down, and, and he just ran right through the middle, and nobody touched him. They looked confused, and he ran for that first down. That's when you really knew, like, our defense just has, they're just confused. And they, should, they, did, they went to a shot of Clay, and Clay just had a no reaction at all can i just say too that i think that it was also telling with the reverse um that reverse that stanford ran that i don't think anybody expected to score you know it's it's a reverse it's a trick play but it's not you know you hope it's explosive usc runs reverses and it never works usc doesn't know how to run reverses stanford does that's why usc can't defend reverses because stanford ran one properly and USC's defense has never seen a proper reverse ran in practice because USC can't do them. And the evidence is all over the place. You just watch the tape. They run reverses. It doesn't work. Stanford ran a proper one, and they scored a touchdown because USC's defense has never seen a proper reverse. That's really how I feel. That's, that's how little confidence I have in this staff now. USC scored a touchdown. <laughs> I guess we should report that. We need to highlight the positive. They now have one touchdown in eight quarters against Power 5 teams, which is all they're going to play for the remainder of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that one drive was great. I was impressed by that one drive. <laughs> yeah, so the, the confidence actually ran the ball pretty well. They averaged 5.8 yards per play, which is a season high. So how do you do that? How do you average nearly six yards a play and only come away with 10 points? I'll tell hmm. you. Well, I know exactly <laughs> what it is. Uh, I mean, outside, obviously, you know, coaching, play calling. I think their offensive line, too, destroys drives for them. They just they, they give up a sack. They get called for a false start or some stupid penalty, and they're just not going anywhere. They can't. You forgot, you forgot the other five false starts, right? Exactly. Uh, I, sorry. Yeah, I know they like they had like six before the end of the first quarter. So they destroy the offensive line destroys drives for them, and on top of that, they don't call plays properly. Uh, I mean, I, I, I look at the numbers, right? And and you mentioned it. they ran the ball well against Stanford. I was blown away, honestly. I did not think that was going to happen, and I felt like they did. Why did they only run 26 steps? I know that you're down 14, you know, at halftime. But that's what's working for you. It's going to be, you know, Stanford scored 27, right? I would run, I would have ran the ball a lot more. I, I don't, I just don't get their play calling. It's like, do what works for you and try to win, right? Doesn't that just kind of seem simple? Like, just pick your best, what's happening, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. But I, I really just watched that offense and I was like, 
why are they just throwing all these stupid, dumb little passes or like putting Max in situations where he's going to get pressured and he can't deal with it because the offensive line can't pass protect? Just run the ball. Or or Max protect and just chuck it to Juju 80 times. You know what I mean? Just pick something that works for you because those are the only two things that feel like could possibly work for them. I don't know. I just watched their offense and it is just it's just mismanaged and all over the place that I don't even know what it is. I don't know how to describe it. So I, I would say I, I was just shocked that they – they were running well, and they, they didn't stick with it. Yeah, well, mismanaged is, I think, the operative term there. The offensive line, aside from the false starts, which you, you, know, you can't separate you can't separate what they were able to accomplish from that because it derailed them. But when they didn't do that, they moved the ball, for the most part, on the ground. But they... They don't know how to call a drive. That's what happened. They, they don't know how to call a drive. They went, they went 4 of 12 on third down. They had that fourth and one, or the fourth and two, rather, with Rojo right there in the red zone at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And they're in the shotgun. And it's a designed run. We talked to Sam Darnold about it, who came in the play before out of nowhere to run the third down play and the fourth down play. And they're in the shotgun. And when they're in the shotgun and then they have Rojo standing next to either Brown or Darnold, you pretty much know what they're doing. So they only got a yard out of it. They gave the ball back. Which it's amazing that they would go for it on that one with the entire fourth quarter left. And you could argue that they could have kicked a field goal there and been down 14 because a two-possession game with more than 14 minutes to play actually does make some sense. But I like going for it on fourth and short. So I'm, I'm in support of going for it. It's just, I guess, ironic maybe that they didn't. Uh, like, like they did, and, and they could have gotten points there, and then later on they punt <laughs> five minutes later in the game. They, they punt the ball. They're still down by three possessions. But anyway, so situationally, they're a mess. And that comes back to play calling. There's no doubt. So they've scored 10 points or less two times in three games, right? they played three games this year. Yeah. It's happened twice in three games. So that happened once under Kiffin. Uh in, in 2012 and 2013, it was a three-game three stretch there. And then before that, it was 20 years. And it was in uh, the, uh, the final game for Larry Smith and in the debut of John Robinson when he came back. So, as I alluded to earlier, they are making history, but the wrong kind. Yeah, they're awful. That's it. They have an awful team. <laughs> well, <next> season. <laughs> do they? See, I think that's why it's so frustrating. Do they have an awful well, team? Because or of their should coaches. they be an awful team? Right. Yeah, they have awful but, coaching. But, yeah. But, I mean, it's just destroyed the season. It's just like they, they can't compete because of their coaches. They can't even compete. So I'll see you next season where they have a good coaching staff, right? Like when they actually will compete for something. Hey, honestly, if, I, if yeah. I was just a USC fan – if I, if I, you know what I mean? If I was just some fan, let's say, like, just, some, I wouldn't watch the rest of the season. 
I'm serious. Even if I cared, why would you put yourself through the misery of watching USC embarrass themselves this year? It's just not even worth it. I hate to say that. Like, it's my business. I know. But, like, it's going to get bad. So, I, I, I just I can't believe it's here. I just can't believe it's here. And uh, I'm waiting for it to end. And that's why I support ending it now. Getting back to that point. But I know you guys are against that. So... <laughs> It's not so much against that. I would love to see that, but I just don't see the point, really, because it could only lead to more nonsense. I want, I want a clean slate. I want it to be definitive that the entire staff loses their job because they deserve to, and you start anew, and you get that yeah. top tier guy who brings in all right. of his people, his staff, his own. They realize they need a real offensive line coach, and you you don't try to to cherry pick things or hold piece things together because oh well he's a nice guy or oh he's a USC guy or oh he's been around a lot no you fire everybody on the last game of the season done you start new that's it well the people that are affected most um, I think I think I I take in consideration them we're talking about the players and the coaches of course but we can focus on the players right now I think it would be incredibly hard on them. I think they'd be better a, off. A coaching change right now. You're talking about long term, and and that's why I'm saying I think the situation's going to take care of itself long term. But we're talking September 18th. You don't make a coaching change right now. The players would be better off if they made a coaching change right now. They're not being developed properly. It's hurting their future profession. Um, I just feel like anybody would get them prepared better. I really do. Anybody it's else. a future profession for a handful, not for the majority. That's so a, that's but a good what, point. what would they go through that would be like, a Dory is so fine. awful? A, a Dory looks yeah. better than I've ever seen him. The, and it doesn't even matter what the coaches are doing. But most of these He's guys are... I get it. Most of these guys are going to sign some kind of NFL contract, though, you no. know, or go on a practice no. squad or something uh, like that. They would have a better chance at doing that if they had a real coaching staff that could actually develop them. I feel like, too, that they would win more with anyone else, and that would also help their draft stock, and they would get thrown under the bus by the coaches all the time because they always come out and say, oh, we didn't execute, and that that's on us. We don't execute, and that's on us. I've been hearing that BS for five years, six years, when they lose four, five, six games. And I think, oh, my gosh, maybe you should change the plan of execution if no one can get it right for five years. Think about it. Let's have a different plan so that we can execute it. But nobody's figured that out. Right. But I can, which is just so sad. It's so sad because I'm a 26-year-old kid that knows nothing about football compared to these coaches. And it's like, guys, like, come on. Just make it simple as hell. Like, come on. Like, just do something. I feel like if they just fired up and hired the – they could get the St. John Bosco coaches staff as consultants to just come in on Saturday and call plays, and they would win more games. So why not just do that? That's honestly – like, seriously, fire them now. That's really where I'm at. Okay, I, I'm, I'm not even going to dignify that part of your, your rant. But <laughs> um, I have 
you know, I, I talk to these players all the time, and I've been told that some of them are really tired of it. They're tired of being a scapegoat, being a fall guy. Um, tonight, Clay Hilton, during his Sunday teleconference, said, I'm not blaming the players, and it's on us coaches. And I would say he's pretty consistent in not using execution as the cause, but we hear it a lot from the assistants. And again, from what I've been told from players, that's what they're hearing in the meetings, that they're not executing, and it's on them. And and they know that that, that insinuates um, the coaches are not at fault and are doing their part. When it's so obvious that that's not true. You know, Sark was fired because he had a problem, or at least that was an, an easy excuse. Whether or not, if he didn't have that problem, would he be a great coach? Who knows? Kiffin had sanctions under a cloud of that, and he was an a-hole, so people didn't like him. I liked him because he was an a-hole, but that's neither here nor there. Clay Hilton's going to be fired because he's just bad. Because he's bad. And yeah. that is the most disgusting part of how did he even – because I, I, people say he's a nice guy. But how do you even get hired at this level? Because you're just bad. Your reactions are bad. You have none. On the fourth down, they didn't convert. He's not even sc- – scream at the ref about the uh, – try to get them to give you a better play uh, a spot on that ball. He's not mm-hmm. even reacting. Uh, nothing. Ole Miss over the weekend played Alabama on Saturday. They lost 48-43, but were beating Alabama uh, in the middle of that game. Alabama had to come back to win. Ole Miss, uh, they're now 23-ranked in the latest poll, but they started that game at 19th-ranked. When we played Alabama, we were 20th-ranked. Are we that much worse than Ole Miss? 48-43. right now they are. Right. But who would have ever thought that that would happen? Really? Right. Horrible. Yeah, it's funny you brought up that spot because um, I, I thought they got a bad spot. They did. They did. <laughs> they did. I, I, they did. I so at least say I something. I a challenge flag. You Why know, not? at the beginning of the, the game, the first quarter I was listening in the car, driving back from somewhere to the, to the broadcast with Pete Arbogast and John Jackson, and they were talking about how Stanford was getting beneficial treatment from the refs because the, 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 what should have been a couple delay of game calls, they gave him the timeout. And they made a point that Clay doesn't seem angry about this. That he was, he was mildly talking to the refs versus screaming at them. Screaming at them because you're fighting for your life. This game was the deciding factor. If he wins this game, everything's different. Yeah. And there's no emotion. There's no passion. And he will be fired yeah. because he's a bad coach. Not yeah, because he had I, a problem, not because of sanctions, because he's a bad coach. I would have thought they were going to approach this game like it was a Super Bowl. They they talked so much about redemption, not even for how Stanford blew them out in December, but what Alabama did two weeks ago. And this was their opportunity. It's the opener of the Pac-12, and it's become a pretty big rival. Stanford is right there behind now UCLA and Notre Dame. They're number three in terms of USC rivalries. And it would mean a lot more right now to beat Stanford than it would UCLA or Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. 
Think about it. It would mean a lot more. It, Stanford's a lot better than those teams. And it just, after a certain point, it looked like they were playing not to get blown out. Not to lose by a lot, is what I tweeted. <laughs> Yeah, but they took a but they took a giant step forward, Adam, because they didn't lose by forty six, lost by seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think anybody was buying what he was, uh, what Clay was trying to sell after the game with that that quote. I mean, and it started the week started bad when he when Clay decided to say we hope to one day be uh, like Coach Shaw in Stanford. You don't say that. I don't care what the reality is. I don't care how much admiration you have for the guy. You're a weak coach when you say that. Now when you now when you represent USC. Now, when you represent this fan base and this alumni in, yeah. in our well, history, right. you don't say right. that. I, I remember Tim Floyd saying something to that effect about Arizona and Lou Olson. And, uh, and I got it. I got that was a really ambitious, admirable goal. Yeah. And, uh, and you can do that with USC basketball. Absolutely. And I remember there being a little bit of controversy because he didn't say UCLA, but he said Arizona. But really, Arizona's been the class of the Pac-10, Pac-12 for three decades now. Mm-hmm. So when when Floyd said that, I'm looking at him like, you know what? You're you're serious. You're not playing around. And he did. He he made them competitive in USC basketball. You know that that's the best run that they've had since the early '90s. So, in, in well, that context, it worked perfectly. But uh, I, I agree. Uh, Clay, while he might feel that way because of his experience at USC and the era that he's been a part of, right? Like, right. I, I get it from a logical standpoint. Like, it'd be great if USC could be like Stanford right now <laughs> in the top 10 competing for the Rose Bowl and a national title every year, basically. Right. That, that's what we all want. But you don't voice that the week of the game. No, you don't give Brian, uh, Coach Shaw, that swagger. You don't give uh, you don't give the, the other team's players that swagger. And you just don't admit that. I mean, we all know the reality, but this is USC. The amount of national championships, Heisman's players, legacy. When you really put it in that context in that vacuum what has stanford accomplished compared to usc football when you really talk about that sort of legacy and that's what you say they're a little brother like i told you right here's something else though is that usc like magnified this situation themselves because they hired clay helton think about it if they had hired another coach that said this exact same thing and they lost the same way it wouldn't be that bad, really. It would be bad, but it wouldn't be that bad. Because Tim, going back to Tim Floyd, I know it's USC basketball is different. Tim Floyd coached in the NBA. He was a head coach of the NBA. He says a comment like that. Oh, well, like he knows what he's doing. That, a comment like that from a hire that USC made just magnifies the fact that it's a dumb hire. Yeah, well, right. So they put themselves in this situation because every little thing – the, the Clay Helm does, and, and this is coming back in a circle. We kind of talked about this before. Like, if they had Chip Kelly in there one and two, it wouldn't be a big deal. It, they've put themselves in, in a situation to fail. They set Clay Helton up to fail like he set up Max Brown to fail. I'm going back to that. <laughs> they set Clay Helton up to fail because every, like, they weren't going to compete for a national title right away. 
he went eight and four, he'd be on the hot seat. He's not going to go eight and four because he's not even qualified to do that. You know, like how is this yeah. going to turn out? Well, every comment he makes about Stanford or anything else is going to be magnified a thousand times over. He's going to be ridiculed. People are going to call him stupid. It's just going to end really, really badly. And yeah. it's it's all Pat Hayden's fault, really. Um, yeah. I don't blame Clay Helton for making a comment like that. Actually, like you said, logically, it makes sense. I think if Pete Carroll said that and, and they'd gone through a bad run, people would have forgiven it. But this is yeah. all yeah. USC's well, fault. Pete Carroll wouldn't have said it. That's the difference. No, right. I get you it. Have said it. it. But I'm just saying that if a coach like that, if they had like a Tom Herman or a Bob Stoops or somebody like that, and they made a dumb comment, it's okay. They start wanting to their first season. It's okay. USC forced Clay Helton to be perfect, and he can't be that at all. There's no chance. You know, they're, but they're forcing that on him. Yeah, I think what you're getting at is that when Floyd said it, you believed it could happen. And it looked like it was happening before he was let go. With Helton, I, I don't. Well, he wants that to happen, and he's trying to make that happen. It's not happening, it ain't going to happen. He's not going to take them to where Stanford is right now. And this is where, <laughs> for me, it's really hard because uh, I, I've covered this team for a long time. And I went to the school and I grew up basically idolizing it. And in my decade and a half as a reporter, Clay Helton is the nicest guy that I've covered in the business. So, while I, I never thought that this was the direction to go in, in terms of hiring him, once it happened, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the athletic director. I, I have no say, no voice, no influence. I want him to do well. I would love for him to do well. I think everybody does. I think everybody... Was, was hoping that it would work out. And now, so many people are hoping it gets worse so it will end sooner. That's how bad it is. It, it's like an NBA team or an NFL team tanking to get a, a number one draft pick. That's basically where a lot of USC fans are going with the situation. Because, because I, I just epically bad. I, I never remember that. I don't. You know, I never remember that being the, the case in in the time that I've been following the team. I've also never re- remembered so many casual fans or people that don't really know about football being able to realize how bad this is, how wrong things are going. How um, we stayed with my great aunt. She actually watches football, so she probably knows a little bit. But she knew we talked about the game. She just knew she's like they they could stop them up front. What's wrong with USC's defensive front? You know what I mean? She pointed this out to me. Just casual fans, just know. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah, they're overwhelmed. Oh, Swanson they're family has got uh, relatives everywhere, by the way. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, and, and count homes too. Oh my gosh, Chris Morales! This was like the greatest trip ever in terms of uh, amenities yeah so well, we might have to get that to get to that on our uh, podcast show we will i'm sure <laughs> or, or excuse me our podcast show our message board show coming up later in the week um 
Final thing that I want to get to. And by the way, one last, I, people love when we make the golf analogies. They love when Swan and I get into that. It's yeah. sort of like, do you want to putt short of the hole, Chris, or do you want to putt past the hole? We all in know football, the answer. You, you want to putt past foot, the hole. Well, especially in football, because you're not taking a 10 or something. You know what I mean? It's right. like you lose or you win. So and, put past the hole. And my point to that is you want to see some passion. You want to see something. That's really, to, to Adam's point of people wanting to see it just really get bad, it's an anger caused by feeling that somebody doesn't care or that they aren't trying enough. And that's the problem. That's the problem. But I want to get to the quarterback situation because it's just a weekly topic now. Now everybody, of course, because Sam Darnold, and Chris, you predicted this, everyone is citing those numbers from the game compared to Max Brown. So now Sam Darnold should start. And he did have that, that one pass where he threaded the needle. It was pretty great. And the interception, I don't really blame on him. I think that was a heck of a pass, too. He was, they were trying to do something. But how do you guys feel heading into Friday against Utah? Chris, you posted something last night that he is supposed to be the starter. Is that, is that the, the good move here? Is, are we just cutting Max off too early? Does it really matter at, any, at this point? I mean, what, how do we feel about that? Well, I got to let it play out because, on, to me, it feels like Max Brown's going to be the starter against Utah. Um, but I had somebody tell me that it might that might not be the case. That's not going to be the case. Uh, so we'll see. Um, I think it's curious because I don't think Max Brown is losing them any games. I don't think he's the problem um, at all. I think he's probably just fine at quarterback. And I've actually, when he when he's been able to you know get his chances to throw, I've been impressed with him uh, in games. I look at his numbers, and I think they're just fine from this one. I just, I think that USC's trying to create a spark with their offense. Uh, Clay Helton talked about it tonight with Dory uh, Jackson on his call. You know how he might play him on offense more and try to spark it. I think that Sam Darnold could provide that spark, and people see that when they see him out there, and that's what's kind of causing this controversy. But I'm kind of with you, Chris Morales. I'm not ready to pull the plug on Max Brown yet. I don't think he's the problem. I just think that Sam Darnold might be able to make the offense work better. And that might lead to him eventually winning this job or at least getting fans really excited about the possibility of him winning the job over Max Brown eventually. Adam, Maya. Well, I agree. I think Brown has been okay and good at times and so good at others. And I don't think he's hurting them. But I think we need to see more of Darnold because when he goes in, they move the ball. He got one drive and they moved. They moved 45 yards in two minutes, which they didn't do the entire night with Max Brown. They had the one long touchdown drive, but they didn't move as swiftly as they did with Darnold. We just now need to see more of Darnold. So it, it's getting more complicated. Helton did talk about needing a spark on offense. And the scary thing right now is that there aren't a lot of things that they could do in terms of personnel. You can put a Dorian offense more, which I... <laughs> it's kind of amazing that they're saying that they need to do this now because that's been apparent 
for over a year. And I, I don't know how many times I've said it and written it, and I just feel like it's old. And I, I like we're piling on at this point by even mentioning it. But Helkin brought it up, so it's worth noting that he says they're going to look at using the jewelry more in offense. Yeah, that, that's probably a good idea when you can only score 10 points. And he's, he's one of the most explosive players in America. I look at what Lamar Jackson's doing, and I'm like, yeah, USC is a guy like that, but he never has a ball in his hand. <laughs> um, but the other thing that you could do is you can rotate or change the quarterbacks because it's not like they're not playing their best running backs. Ronald had, had the ball and Justin got the ball and they ran fine in the Stanford game. They ran better than they had in the previous two games. They're playing their best receivers. Now the passing game has been really stagnant and really inconsistent for a variety of reasons. Sometimes Brown doesn't have time. Sometimes he's not making the right reads. Sometimes they're dropping the ball. I thought he threw a he made a perfect pass to Juju, and Juju didn't come up with it. And and and, and but we know that they're not throwing the Juju enough either. I think he had five targets. That's not enough. You should throw the ball ten times every game. And of course, we were saying as many were that they were over reliant on Juju for a lot of last year. Now they've gone. <laughs> that pendulum has swung to the entire other end where they barely throw to him now. And uh, outside of the, the comment that we got on the punt, the second most appalling thing that I heard on Saturday night, and Clay said it after the game, about where we're not looking to throw to one guy, we're trying to throw to whoever's open. Right. And then Darnold actually clarified this. He said, our offense is a pure progression offense. And so basically, their plays are designed to just hopefully get people in general open, but they don't feature anybody. Well, you have one of the top five receivers in the country on your team. You probably want to feature him in your offense. You don't have to do it Lane Kiffin, Marquise Lee style where the offense is like a one-trick pony, but you should feature Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he's proven worthy of that. And so I just couldn't believe when Darnold un, you know, enlightened us with that nugget that they're not featuring Juju in their offense. My original point here was that they are playing their best receivers and they're playing their best running backs. And while they're still trying to figure things out on the offensive line, it isn't like they have five other guys on the bench that are going to come up and they're going to dominate on the offensive line. They've been using their best linemen. They just weren't as good as we thought they, they should be or were going to be. And, and 
how much of that is on them or on coaching, I don't know. So outside of that, what can you do? You, it, it's just a Dory, right? And it's quarterback. And so I want to make it clear that I'm, I'm not saying that Brown's the, the problem, but if you're looking to to make wholesale changes, and it, you're, you're not going to change your offensive coordinator, I don't see that happening during the year, then, you know, it's not like Max Brown is playing lights out. If he were dominating and they were just losing games, but, you know, he was playing like Aaron Rodgers, then you ride it out with Aaron Rodgers. But that's not happening. So I think you play Darnold. And and now I think Clay's next big decision and, and really maybe the one that's going to make or break his job is do you rotate them or do you make Sam your starter? Well, we will see. Uh, the first step in all that, what happens Friday night against Utah, up in Utah against the Utes, the line, the out-of-the-gate line is plus two to USC, so minus two to Utah, which is a small line. Um, Utah is 3-0, and no conference play. They haven't really beaten anybody. Um, but we'll see what happens. And we've got two more shows ahead of the week. I feel like wrapping up, guys, because we're just a few minutes shy of midnight and my 33rd birthday. So ah. be sure to wish me happy birthday at CMM Spectrum on Twitter. And that's why I wanted to go to your 1983 stat first, where I was going to go before you said it in your post-game notes, because 1983, a magical year for me. Yeah. I can't believe happy it was 33 birthday. years ago. <laughs> wow, happy birthday, Chris Rouse. I'm like basically saying it on the dot. Yeah, exactly on the dot. And of course, yeah, ha- you know. Happy birthday. Thank you. And, and why not spend it with you two fellas? when it actually <laughs> ticks off to midnight. Oh, well, yeah, you're everyone. trying to hang out. You're trying to hang out with me. <laughs> uh, oh, everyone, that does it for our first show of the week. We'll be back for our message board show. Uh, Chris Watson will post, or Adam will post, when we want you to ask our questions, or ask your questions, and we'll answer those. And then a preview show probably Thursday, obviously, with a Friday kickoff, and uh, we'll do it up. A lot, to be, a lot of questions, I know. There's going to be a lot of stuff we covered tonight, more stuff. And we do need to figure out how to get into the Chris Swanson great aunt story. I want to hear that. But uh, I think we call it a night for this somewhat depressing podcast, but it had to be done, unfortunately. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Trojansports.com.